Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. If I am a true disciple of Jesus, Nothing, nothing should prevent me from forgiving others. Oh, but pastor, they didn't ask forgiveness. That's okay. You forgive them anyway. Oh, but pastor, that was a mean, that was a cruel, that was a horrendous thing that they did to me or to my family. That's okay. They'll have to deal with that before God. You forgive them. Because you see, Forgiveness in your heart is all about you. It's not about the other person. As Christians, we are expected to forgive. However, forgiving can be really hard. Today, Pastor David will share that exercising forgiveness doesn't require faith. It requires faithful obedience. Releasing forgiveness will allow you to walk in freedom. We forgive even if the other person doesn't ask for forgiveness, and even if they keep making the same mistake. Forgiveness actually has nothing to do with the other person. It's all about you. We forgive as Jesus forgives us. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Obedient Forgiveness. This morning, we are in Luke chapter 17, but before we get there, it was 1947. Uh, World War II was finished at that point in time. Cities, and in fact, entire countries, had been nearly devastated, uh, both throughout Europe, as well as North Africa, as well as over in Asia. One of those countries that was damaged so greatly was the country of Germany. They lost the war. The country itself had gone through so much because of the war, because, again, the events of so many attacks uh, upon the German countryside. It was in 1947 that Corrie Ten Boom left her home in Holland, went back to Germany to teach the German people about God's forgiveness. It was a truth that they needed to hear. They, they needed to hear it because Germany at that point in time, it was, it was bitter, it was a bombed out land, and she was one that uh, again came and spoke to them the truth of what forgiveness is all about. And uh, during her talk to them, she used an illustration that was very familiar to her, particularly a person from Holland, the idea and the thought of the sea is uh, always close to mind. But again, that idea of God's forgiveness. And one of the things that she shared with the uh, people there in Germany is, is when we confess our sins, she said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. This actually comes from the book of Micah, the prophet Micah, chapter 7, verse 19. Uh, And again, it's a message that we all need to hear. We all need to understand. When God gives his forgiveness, he no longer remembers our sin. Amen? 
That is a powerful thing for you need to understand. Because again, the enemy of your soul is gonna continually remind you of these things. But for you and I to understand that they're gone, they're never going to be brought back up again. How does God's forgiveness though of our sin relate to the forgiveness that we need to be able to offer for those that have wronged us? Here in Luke 17, and when we were last here, we looked at verses one through five, those passages about forgiving others. Now, again, uh, that idea of repeated forgiveness for repeated sins, even up to the point of forgiving somebody who sinned against us seven times in one day, that we need to forgive them seven times in a day. If you remember, the message wasn't so much about the numbers of forgiveness, it was about the heart issue, a heart of forgiveness, recognizing and motivated by the forgiveness that we receive from the Lord. We as the children of God, the redeemed of creation, sinners saved by the very sacrifice of Christ are called to forgive even as we've been forgiven. There's no doubt about it. Is that a difficult task? Yeah, absolutely it is. It, with, without the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives, it's, I'd say it's nigh on impossible for us to be able to continually forgive that way. Our lives need to be totally changed. We need to be those to forgive even as we've been forgiven. So we read in verse five that the disciples here in chapter 17, verse five, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, here in verse six, where we're at this morning, Jesus gives what appears to be a pretty strange answer, or at least at first it appears that way. He says, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, you need to understand here, Jesus is not concerned about trees, He's not concerned about underwater farming here, none of those issues. He was concerned about the condition of the disciples' hearts. And in essence, what Jesus was telling them is this. He's saying, in essence, forgiveness doesn't come from greater faith. Even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you have plenty enough faith. You simply need to exercise the faith that you have. Forgiveness of others by the believers it's an expected thing. It's what we're called to do as believers. I want to share with you some information from an article written for uh, Guidepost magazine back in 1972 by Corey Tinboom, who was, of course, she was still living at that time. Otherwise, she wouldn't be able to write it. That's a crazy <laughs> statement. She wrote to uh, uh, Guidepost magazine back in 72. And she writes these words. She says, forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. That's pretty powerful when you think about it. An act of the will. But you know what? Even that statement really doesn't make much sense until you know the context in which she made it. Corey and her sister Betsy had been placed in a German concentration camp by the name of Ravensbrück during World War II. Her family had been arrested by the Nazis because they hid Jews. She was Christian, her family was Christian. They were hiding Jews in their home there in Holland. Because of the harsh, the cruel, that, that inhumane treatment of that German concentration camp, her sister Betsy died while in prison there. 
And yet following the war, as lives were being pieced back together, it was Corey that felt compelled by God to go from Holland to go back to Germany and to speak about God's forgiveness. It was in 1947, following her talk there in Munich, as the people were leaving that crowded room, she saw him. He was a balding man, heavy set, gray overcoat, clutching a brown felt hat close to him. Almost immediately, she recognized him as one of the German guards during her captivity and during her sister's death. He walked directly up to her, his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. In Ten Boom's own words, she writes this. I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He wouldn't remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him, the letter cropped swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. Oh, but since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. And again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, the one who sins, had been forgiven again and again, and I couldn't forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It couldn't have been many seconds that he stood there, his hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. But I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a command of God, but as a daily experience, because since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of the Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars were. But those who nursed bitterness, they remained as invalids. It was a simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, even mechanically, I, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. 
The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seems to flood my whole body, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You see, church, it does not take great faith to forgive. It takes simple, faithful obedience. And it's that faithful obedience that Jesus now drives home to the disciples as we look on in Luke 17 at verses 7 through 10. Look at this, if you would beginning in verse seven. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? (laughs) But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded to him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. One of the things we need to catch here at the very beginning of this, right at the beginning of verse 7, it begins with what's called a conjunction. Depending upon the version of the Bible you have, the translation of that conjunction is also and, but, moreover, or now. This is nothing new. It's found all throughout the Bible, nothing special about it. But what it does do, we see here Jesus was speaking and the use of this conjunction ties together what he had just said to what he's about to say. Jesus moves on from what he said in verse six where he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to that mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it'll obey you right into, and which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep. And so we see here this idea of a a direct connection, a continuation. And we can't miss that because that helps us to be able to understand and interpret what he's saying next here. Jesus uses this illustration to be able to get the disciples to understand the point of this lesson. He speaks of a very common thing within their culture. Everyone would be familiar with what he's speaking about here, a master and a servant and the relationship between the two. They could make the full connection as he gives them the illustration. The servant he speaks about seems to be a pretty capable guy able-bodied individual. He can work as a farmer and as a shepherd, or he can come in and cook the meal. Very useful servant. But Jesus begins this illustration by declaring something absolutely foreign to their understanding. This idea of the master serving the servant. The servant come in, the master say, hey, come sit down. I, I made dinner for you. No, that wouldn't happen. Can you imagine this ever happening, Jesus saying? After the servant works out in the field, he comes in and the master has dinner all prepared and invites the servant to sit down and eat. Of course not. That's not how it works. When the servant comes in after working out in the field all day, the master is gonna tell him, no, you hurry up and fix me something to eat. And then after I've eaten everything, then you can go ahead and find yourself something to eat. So then Jesus asks them a question. 
As a matter of fact, uh, the question brings into focus the whole point of this illustration. Yes, that question. Do you think that after the servant does all that he's commanded to do, that the master is going to rise up and tell him, thank you? Well, Jesus answers his own question. He says, I don't think so. Serving the master was what was expected. You were meant to do that. You were called to do that. Serve the master long before considering serving yourself. Jesus then follows up with the object lesson. In essence, it's the takeaway from this. Verse 10, he says, So likewise, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. So let me first clear up a little understanding or help with uh, the translation on this a bit. When the servant says that we are unprofitable servants, it's not that they had no value. It's simply that they hadn't done beyond what was expected or anticipated. They hadn't done beyond what was required of them. They didn't do anything extra. They only did those things that they were commanded to do. They were unprofitable in that way. To help you to be able to understand that, if I were to take and place money into an investment account and then three or five years later I came back and my same $50 was there and it hadn't gained anything, well, that was an unprofitable investment. I didn't lose anything, but I didn't gain anything either. That's the idea. It's unprofitable. When you and I do all that the Lord, according to his word, has commanded us to do, when we forgive a brother or a sister seven times a day because seven wrongs were committed on that same day, or maybe, as another passage says, 70 times seven, Gang, we've simply done our responsibility. We've, we've done our obligation. Within that, that's really when we start demonstrating the mind and the heart and the action of Jesus. But just doing that basic thing over and over throughout the scriptures. We're called to walk in obedience to the example that Christ has set before us. Even when we don't feel like it. I don't know about you, but there's days when I don't feel like it. Okay, sometimes there's multiple times during a day that I don't feel like it. Because my own flesh gets in the way, I get wounded, I get upset, I get tired, I get frustrated, whatever it might be. But we are called to follow. Jesus told his disciples and he tells us, for I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. Paul reminds us throughout the letters to the church, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another passage in Ephesians, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So what is our mind to be? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Peter himself tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should what? Follow his steps. Follow his steps. Our forgiveness of others should be unlimited. You might say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. There's a lot within God's kingdom that doesn't make human sense. Amen? Amen? But we're dealing with God's kingdom. 
and our life in that kingdom. You see, if I'm a true disciple of Jesus, nothing should prevent me from forgiving others. Give that to you again. If I am a true disciple of Jesus, nothing, nothing should prevent me from forgiving others. Oh, but pastor, they didn't ask forgiveness. That's okay. You forgive them anyway. Oh, but pastor, that was a mean, that was a cruel, that was a horrendous thing that they did to me or to my family. That's okay. They'll have to deal with that before God. You forgive them. Because you see, forgiveness in your heart is all about you. It's not about the other person. And when you and I walk in forgiveness, that means we can walk in freedom. Otherwise, we're bound by the chains of unforgiveness. And you know what, gang? What I've learned a long time ago, and actually I've learned this lesson. This is one of those lessons you learn many, many times. My not forgiving someone something doesn't bother them at all. But it eats me up. It eats me up. And the answer to forgiveness isn't an increase. Well, maybe as I mature in my faith, if I could grow my faith, huge no. The answer isn't in the idea of increasing our faith. It's solely in obedience. Do I have a true and living faith in Christ? Do I walk in an attitude of forgiveness? Or do I simply have a comfort zone religion? I agree with what the word says. I want to follow Jesus, but within my comfort zone. Because if I go beyond this, I'm going to be losing something of myself. That's right. Shake your head like this. Because you're supposed to lose all of yourself in Christ. What does he tell us over and over again? You've got to die daily if you're going to follow me. You've got to die daily. But I have a right to, no, you don't. We do not. Because remember, we're dead. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet it's not really me that's living. It's Christ that lives in me. And so if it's Christ that lives in me, how many times did he forgive? Well, let's narrow it in. How many times has he forgiven you? You see, that's the difference. With that true, that, that living faith in Christ, we're told over and over, die to self, walk in humility, be willing to suffer a wrong. Don't keep a score of your wrongs. And that's just the normal expectation for you and I as a believer. That's our normal expectation of submission to Jesus. The fact is, is that when I have a hard time forgiving someone, it's usually because I have too high of an opinion of myself. That's just the reality and the truth of it. I'm not going to forgive you because that keeps me up high. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, 
we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.